family to the Manifold Witness Podcast, where faith and witness are practiced. Here we seek to unify a community of believers through promoting a comprehensive discussion by extracting revelatory truth from the scriptures for yourself and others. And now your host, Oscar Lewis, and co-host, Alicia Lewis. Welcome again, family, to episode three of the Manifold Witness Podcast. I am your host, Oscar Lewis, and I'm joined with my co-host, the wonderful, the beautiful Alicia Lewis. Hello, everybody. And in today's episode, we're going to be looking and delving into a question that represents a threshold of faith and witness that every inquiring believer may or should cross. And the question is, can every need we experience in this life whether personal, emotional, or spiritual, be fully met in God. Do we have everything we need? Yes, I was just going to say, do we have everything we need as witnesses? We have to really be honest about that question because things are being introduced to people and we need to make sure, is this something we need to include in our Christian narrative? So we're going to go into it today. We want to thank you again for joining us today. We're coming from a particular text. Then we're going to let that narrative speak to us. And like we said before in previous episodes, we're looking to build on a solid foundation. We have to understand that what we have today has been passed down to us from uh, the first century church. These are biblical essentials every believer should be familiar with in our modern times. We're going to be going into foundational truths. The reason why we're starting it this way, because when you think about the word foundation, is something that is built upon. Anytime you look at a building project, I don't know if you noticed this, but doesn't it takes the longest for them to actually erect the building? Like, what is this going to be like? How big is this going to be? Because they're taking a long time to start really building something. Maybe they have some high expectations of what they're going to build and make sure the foundation foundation is secure. I learned a while back, the foundation has to go deep enough to also accommodate the height of the building. So the higher your building is going, the deeper down you have to lay the foundation and make sure that it's strengthened. That's good. That is an indication. Whatever they're about to erect, it's about to be mad. So you wonder why the first century church, they operated like they did because God was about to build something on the foundation that Jesus and his disciples had laid. And guess what? We're a part of that something. Over 2,000 years ago, this is amazing. And we are part of that building. So we want to introduce this new segment talking about foundational truth. Every believer should be familiar with in our modern times. Now, if you haven't noticed, we have entered into an era of what some have labeled as post-truth. Now, maybe a term you might not be familiar with, but guess what? We're going to help you today. Post-truth. What is it? Post-truth is a time when objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion and appeals to emotion and personal belief. That simply means that people are more invested in how things make them feel versus it being true or not. It is no longer sufficient to be simply sincere. You 
have to know what you believe. I'm going to give you a little story about sincerity. There was a little boy who baked his father a cake. And you might have heard the story before, but if you haven't, here it is. The little boy baked the cake. And so he started with the ingredients. But when he came to choosing between the sugar and the salt, he got a little confused. Why? Because the sugar and the salt look rather similar. He was not able to distinguish between the sugar and the salt, and he used salt instead of sugar. He finished baking the cake, and the cake looked awesome. It looked amazing. And his dad came home from work, and there his little son is in the kitchen smiling and said, Dad, I baked you a cake. And the dad was elated. He was so excited to see that his son had did something so special. The dad began to cut the cake and he sat down to eat the cake. And when he tasted the cake, the cake, the dad exclaimed, was the worst cake he ever tasted in his life. Now, that is a good illustration of truth and sincerity. You can be sincere about something, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. So this is why we want to present to you foundational truth and build from that because it's going to be hard for you to even grow in your faith. So Ephesians chapter four, verse 13, go ahead and read that for me. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. So that is a shortened version of what the actual text says. Until we all reach unity, we got to think about that word in the faith. That's what we're talking about. Not just unity, because you look at the world, people are inundated with the divisive nature of our society. People are tired of the bickering, the back and forth. Some people are even desensitized to it. But we're talking about unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and to become mature. I can now distinguish what's good and not good for me. The little boy who baked the cake, he wasn't at a level of maturity, so he wasn't able to distinguish what was good and not good to bake this cake for his dad. So it's no longer wise to leave your spiritual care solely in the hands of those who have made matters of faith and spirituality out of a career. You have to know these things for yourself. The scripture says, seek and ye shall find. Men and women abroad must take the responsibility. Whenever you hear that word responsibility, I'm going to give you a little revelatory truth. Whenever you hear the word responsibility, you want to thank authority. If I give you the responsibility of doing something, that means I'm giving you the authority. So you want to take the authority for your own spiritual well-being, which unfortunately has been given over to leaders in parish ministry for hundreds of years in our Western society. We're probably going to have to go into another episode on that and how do we get to where we are now as it relates to our Christian faith. But the result of people giving their responsibility over to people who are performing in this thing called Christian culture and in this thing called parish ministry, which I have nothing against, by the way, but like the saying goes, nothing ain't wrong. But something ain't right. The result has been an anemic, westernized, politicized monstrosity we call the church. This church has shown to be ill-equipped to sustain itself through society's ebbs and flows and has left many without 
witnessing who or what the church is or supposed to be. Therefore, we need to be equipped with an inventory of biblical and spiritual truths to help us navigate through life's triumphs and hardship because we have triumphs. In some circles, they call it breakthrough. But there are things that we go through that are hard. We call them hardships or tribulations. Tribulations, if you really look at the etymology of that word, means manifold pressure. That means pressure that's coming from all sides. And we're living in a society where if you are a believer, you are feeling some type of pressure. We want to help you navigate through those triumphs and those hardships and solidify ourselves as a people of the book. When we start looking at our lives, we should be able to match it up with the first century believers and how they conducted themselves and how they lived out their faith from the time they were living in. Because mind you, this were going on in society just like it is here today, but they were consistently living out their faith and the world had to take notice of who these people were. How many of you actually want to live in a world like that? where people start to take notice of you because of your witness. You want to add anything to that, Alicia? No, that's okay. Okay, we're going to go right into it. We're going to talk about Romans chapter 8, verse 32. And it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, not with him, also freely give us all things. How can God deliver his only begotten son? Some have deemed him the darling of heaven. How can God bankrupt heaven and not give us everything we should need here on earth? The question is, can any and every need you in life, whether it be personal, emotional or spiritual, be fully met in Christ? I'd like to add something right there. Freely give us all things there. Literally, there's no other definition for all. All Greek, Hebrew, English. When he says all things, he means all things. That's a good point. It, it means all types, everything, all inclusive. So say to yourself, all means all. All. Isn't that amazing? So this scriptural text merits our attention. If we're going to enter into a discussion of what it means to live out our Christian faith, this text merits our attention because this is the threshold of entering in a life of abundance, a life that Jesus claims what? Life and life more abundantly. You know what? That's something we can't scoff at. We got to understand what this looks like and what this means. So if we're going to have any biblical integrity upon reading and interpreting this text, we must therefore conclude that this scriptural text suggests we have access to an inventory of available resources to receive a positive response from God in all of our prayers. At this point, people would argue God is not a genie in a bottle and that he's not there to grant your, your every wish. And I would agree with that. But I would say to those people, too, for every desire that you have, every heartfelt dream, where would you go? Who else would you go to to discuss those things, obtain resources from? Because if those dreams Dreams, those heartfelt desires are from God and they're for the kingdom of God. He is the one who's going to provide every resource that you need for seeing those things come to pass. That's a good illustration. I believe it's in the book of John chapter six, when many of Jesus disciples had walked away. And then Jesus looked at the 12 and he asked them, do you also want to go away? And then that impetuous Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then he says, 
we also believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Until you come up against something that your job cannot handle, a doctor can't help you with, a psychiatrist cannot offer you any peace or consolation. People may live that way until they come up against something that literally no other human on this earth, no amount of money, no amount of medication can even offer any peace or anything. No, that's good. As we're formulating these thoughts, I want to add a caveat to that scripture text. That one caveat that we so readily leave out in the scripture text that we just read, that God's available resources for our answer prayers are through, here it is, an ongoing relationship with his son, Jesus the Christ. So now it merits us to reread this scriptural text with new eyes and see that everything works through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is where people go in different directions. This is where the confusion happens. Read that scripture at times, sweetheart. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see that? You got to read these scriptures, read this narrative again and again. Because when you read it with a fresh new perspective or revelatory truth, you see that, okay, God did everything through Christ. So when God gives you anything or if he's going to give you anything, it's through your relationship with Christ. Let's put it in common terms. I have accumulated wealth and my children can only access that wealth as it relates to our relationship. We receive things based on our relationship to the other. So say, for instance, I work for Coca-Cola and I'm going to work every day. I'm punching in the clock and payday has arrived. So instead of going into the Coca-Cola front office, I decide to go to Pepsi and ask them and say, hey, do you guys happen to have my check Perhaps they're going to look at you like I'm crazy because it's like, who are you? We don't know you. Oh, I work for Coca-Cola. I'm just trying to come over and get my money from you. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Why do we think differently in the things of God? We seek after things from God, but we are not related to the means in which he wants to give everything to us is through his son. So you have to understand that your relationship to Christ is not doctrinal. It's experiential. It proceeds out of intimacy between you and God, not memberships in a church or religious group. That's reality because some people feel like I don't have to talk to God all the time. I don't have to do all these things. But when the time comes and you need something from God, you're like, where are you? So we have to be honest with ourselves about that. So Jesus coined the term being born again. And born again is salvific. Man, I was waiting a long time to say that word. Huh? <laughs> I paid for that. <laughs> but anyway, the word a salvific has to do with salvation. It's describing entering a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. So Jesus, when he paid the price on Calvary, those of us who believed and accepted and received him, we not only received him as Savior, but also we should receive him as Lord and maybe another episode as well. Therefore, it is safe to say that upon being born again, which means simply born of God or born from above, we enter into a dynamic personal relationship with Jesus and our creator, which is God, whereas we potentially have every possible need already met in our lives. 
And this is where your personal testimonies come from. When you have that experience and you have that relationship, that's where you can tell people, literally, God is good and it's not doctrine. It's not something that you learned. It's something that you have experienced. You have literally experienced his goodness in situation. Yeah, that's good. So the writer of this scripture is seemingly trying to relate an important truth here. And the observation is this, if we can accept that God, our heavenly father, gave his very son in our most dire need, which was to have a savior. And this is Christianity 101, John 3, 16. It only follows if he certainly is willing to address our lesser need, how much more is he willing to meet the other need? That is the premise of what being a Christian is and how we see these things lived out in our life, that God has provided for us a savior. But the question is, is he Lord? See, the Christian journey is one of exploration of God's presence, but also utilizing what our relationship with Jesus affords us in this life and the life to come. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus rendered for us and upon accepting and appropriating this in our lives, we have entered a world of possibilities beyond our wildest imagination. For the scripture says, if you can believe all things are possible to him, who believes. Hey, we want to thank you again for joining us as we begin our series on foundational truth for our modern times. Until next time, love, joy, and peace. Thank you for joining us today on Manifold Witness Podcast. We invite you to journey with us and subscribe to the show for the latest and the greatest. Until next time, love, joy, and peace.